Good day. I am Bob Zeiger, Deputy Editor of Jackie in Practice. I am particularly pleased to present this podcast on the highlights from our June 2023 issue with its theme on immunodeficiency. A greater understanding of immunodeficiency and associated immune dysregulation, recently named Inborn Errors of Immunity, offers clinicians the tools to better evaluate and treat their patients with these conditions. Given the advances in inborn errors of immunity, the present immunodeficiency theme issue provides a ticket to better understanding these conditions with its 10 review articles and theme editorial. We are indebted to our editorial board members, Mark Bialo and John Ziegler, for diligently selecting the important review topics and their authors. In addition, Drs. Barlow and Ziegler penned an insightful theme editorial, contextualizing the rich theme review articles and emphasizing the challenges and opportunities in evaluating and treating the myriad of immunodeficiency and immune dysregulatory disorders. The initial six review articles address essential aspects in the recognition, evaluation, and diagnosis of inborn errors of immunity. Drs. Gray and David provide a thorough review of inborn errors of immunity with features that suggest autoimmune disease and the autoimmune manifestations of primary immune regulatory disorders with case histories to present patient phenotypes as learning tools, Drs. Ma et al. describe how to use flow cytometry to evaluate and diagnose specific aspects of immune function. The rapidly expanding genetic spectrum of common variable immunodeficiency-like disorders is comprehensively reviewed by Drs. Amartunga and colleagues, monogenetic defects related to common variable immunodeficiency phenotypes are detailed to better understand and interpret reports from next-generation sequencing laboratories. Drs. Hausman and co-authors extensively review the auto-inflammatory disease FAPA syndrome, which is periodic fever, aphthous stomatitis, pharyngitis, adenitis, and syndromes of unexplained recurrent fevers in children and adults for which genetic markers and mechanisms of the disease are needed. Current guidelines for prophylaxis and treatment of FAPA and differences in child and adult phenotypes are discussed. The critical importance of recognizing cytokine storm syndromes in children is highlighted by Drs. Dioria et al. using three clinical vignettes. The article instructs readers about the etiology, triggers, clinical and laboratory features, and management of cytokine storm syndromes. Drs. Tangi and Puel elucidate the importance that 60 cytokines may in inborn errors of immunity to predispose to developing infectious diseases. 
They show how 20 known, known defects in interleukin-17 mediated immunity causes chronic mucocutaneous candidiasis, while overexpression of interleukin-17A may cause inflammatory disorders such as plaque psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and ankylosing spondylitis. The next four review articles transition into inborn errors of immunity management and recent breakthroughs in treatments. Updated management guidelines for adenosine deaminase deficiencies are reviewed by Drs. Grunenbaum and Kolor authors, in which they emphasize the complex options of enzyme replacement therapy, allogenetic hemopoietic cell transplantation, and gene therapy. Drs. Bayri and colleagues explore the mechanism of action of intravenous immunoglobulin in, in autoimmune and inflammatory disorders, focusing on the modulation of specific cellular targets by intravenous immunoglobulin. Our final review article by Drs. Condina Netta and Dorsey is a clarion call to action to improve access to treatment for patients with inborn errors of immunity, giving the availability of treatment options worldwide. They emphasize the need for better cooperation between multiple segments of society, including the pharmaceutical industry, healthcare providers, and governments to improve access. The editors hope that the many informative and suburb review articles in this robust theme issue will enlighten our readers about inborn errors of immunity and translate into improved care to their patients. Let's now learn about the highlights from our 20 original articles in the June 2023 issue. First, long-term immune reconstitution in ADA-deficient patients treated with elapegidamase, a real-world experience, by Mogura Favela et al. What is already known about this topic? Recently, pegidamase, an enzyme replacement therapy used for treating patients with severe combined immunodeficiency, SCID, due to defects in adenosine deaminase, ADA SCID, was replaced by elapegidamase. What does this article add to our knowledge? The use of elapegidamase in real life for ADA SCID is not known. We show that elapegidamase can prevent and reverse the metabolic and lymphoid abnormalities in patients with ADA SCID during extended treatment periods. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our study demonstrates that elapegidamase is an effective management option for patients with ADA SCID. The next article is the prevalence of aspergillus sensitization and allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis in adults with bronchial asthma. This is a systemic review of global data by Agarol et al. What is already known about this topic? The prevalence of allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis 
in adult asthmatic patients remains unclear. What does this article add to our knowledge? We systematically reviewed the literature to estimate the prevalence of ABPA complicating asthma. The pool prevalence of ABPA in asthma, 47 studies with 9,822 asthmatic subjects, was a prevalence of 11.3%. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The high prevalence of ABPA underscores the need for screening all adult asthmatic patients seeking tertiary care for ABPA. The next article, exposure to domestic abuse and the subsequent development of atopic disease in women by Nash et al. What is already known about this topic? Previous studies demonstrated that exposure to domestic violence and abuse is associated with a heightened risk for atopy, which could be explained by an increased allostatic load, stress load. These studies are limited by a cross-sectional design, small sample size, and recall bias. What does this article add to our knowledge? We conducted a population-based retrospective cohort study using an anonymized UK primary care database. Our results indicated that exposure to domestic abuse is positively associated with atopic diseases, including asthma, allergic rhinoconjunctivitis, and atopic eczema. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Domestic violence and abuse are major public health problems. Our results demonstrate a significant associated risk for developing atopic disease. Implementation of public health strategies, prevention and adapting a consideration of domestic violence and abuse in atopic assessments are necessary. Next article is severe asthma, standard of care, background medication reduction with benralizumab, anti-high in practice substudy by Lewis et al. What is already known about this topic? In the phase 3b placebo-controlled and high double-blind study, benralizumab significantly reduced asthma exacerbations and improved symptoms, patient-reported outcomes, and lung function for patients with severe eosinophilic asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? Results for the and high in practice substudy provide insight and confidence that background medication can be reduced while maintaining asthma control with benralizumab in a clinical practice setting. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Current Global Initiative for Asthma Guidelines recommend reducing background asthma medications when symptoms have been controlled and lung function stabilized. The AND-HIGH IP identifies a successful approach to stepping down treatment for severe asthma in the era of biologics. Next article is risk factors and age-related patterns of asthma-like symptoms 
in early childhood by Kivsgaard et al. What is already known about this topic? Several risk factors for childhood asthma are described in the literature. However, it is unknown how these affect the burden of asthma-like episodes in early childhood and whether they exert specific age-related symptom patterns. What does this article add to our knowledge? Male sex, low birth weight, maternal asthma, maternal antibiotic use, asthma exacerbation, polygenic risk score, and airway immune score are associated with a higher number of episodes. Age-related patterns exist for low birth weight, maternal asthma, preterm birth, cesarean section, and siblings. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study provides novel insight into the origin of asthma-like symptoms in early childhood and potentially aids for personalized prognostics and treatment. Next articles, domiciliary, fractional exhaled nitric oxide and spirometry in monitoring asthma control and exacerbations by Wang et al. What is already known about this topic? The use of home spirometry and fractional exhaled nitric oxide, pheno, may facilitate better disease control in people with asthma. However, the lack of compliance may be a major hurdle to this effectiveness. What does this article add to our knowledge? The compliance with domiciliary use of spirometry and pheno devices varied widely. Despite this, pheno and spirometry parameters were associated with asthma exacerbations and control, making it potentially clinically useful. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The domiciliary use of spirometry and pheno may assist patients and healthcare professionals in improving asthma outcomes, particularly in patients with moderate to severe disease. This merits further validation in future studies. The next study is the cost effectiveness of fractional exhaled nitric oxide suppression testing as an adherent screening tool among patients with difficult to control asthma by Barry et al. What is already known about this topic? Despite a number of methods being available to detect medication adherence in routine care, such as physician assessment, patient self-report, prescription records, or electronic monitoring devices, still approximately 50% of adults on long-term asthma therapy are non-adherent. What does this article add to our knowledge? We demonstrate the cost-effectiveness of phenosuppression testing as a protocol-driven, objective, biomarker-based tool to detect non-adherence prior to the initiation of biologic therapy. Among high pheno, greater than 45 parts per billion patients with difficult-to-control asthma. How does this study impact current management guidelines? GINA guidelines emphasize the need to identify non-adherence to inhaled corticosteroids, and our data support wider implementation of the suppression test in difficult-to-control asthma. 
prior to escalation to biologic therapy because it is both clinically and cost effective. The next article is Clinical Implications of Longitudinal Blood Eosinophil Counts in Patients with Severe Asthma by Blika et al. What is already known about this topic? Blood eosinophil counts are an important factor in the diagnosis and treatment of severe eosinophilic asthma. Although intra-individual variability in blood eosinophil counts over time is common in these patients. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients with severe asthma and blood eosinophil counts that fluctuate or are predominantly higher than 300 cells per microliter have a distinct phenotype, which is associated with higher exacerbation rates compared to patients who have counts predominantly less than 300 cells per microliter. What does this study impact current management guidelines? A low blood eosinophil count does not exclude variability. Therefore, repeated blood eosinophil measurements are particularly important in patients with low versus high counts to manage severe, uncontrolled eosinophilic asthma in a clinical setting. Next article, is poorer caregiver mental and social health is associated with worse respiratory outcomes in preschool children with recurrent wheezing by Fitzpatrick et al. What is already known about this topic? Preschool children rely on their caregivers for recognition and management of their respiratory symptoms. The mental and social health of caregivers may influence the caregiver's ability to perform these roles for their preschool children. What does this article add to our knowledge? Preschool caregivers with the poorest mental and social health had disparities in other social determinants of health and the poorest quality of life. Their preschool children had more symptoms and wheezing for more than six months with lesser outpatient care. How did the study impact current, current manage, management guidelines? Caregiver mental and social health is associated with social determinants of health and respiratory outcomes in preschool children. Mental and social health assessments in caregivers are warranted to promote health equity and improve wheezing outcomes in preschool children. The next article is the impact of treatable traits on asthma control and quality of life by Janssen et al. What is already known about this topic? Asthma is a complex disease with many patients experience poor disease control and a decreased quality of life despite optimal pharmacologic treatment. What does this article add to our knowledge? A multitude of treatable traits for non-pharmacologic interventions frequently occur in adult patients with asthma. Disease control and quality of life are associated with it, and referral for treatment of these traits is scarce. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Systematic screening for treatable traits is currently not part of practice guidelines for adult patients with asthma.
when traits are detective. Appropriate referrals to non-medical healthcare professionals should be recommended. The next article is factors associated with asthma biologic prescribing and primary adherence among adults in a large healthcare system by Gleason et al. What is already known about this topic? Persons of black race and low social economic status are disproportionately affected by asthma. Prior research has found low rates of asthma biologic use in these patients. What does this article add to our knowledge? Among patients prescribed asthma biologics in subsequent subspecialty clinics, persons of black race and with Medicaid insurance were less likely to receive their first dose. Patient-level barriers accounted for most cases of not receiving a dose. How does this study impact current management guidelines? These findings call attention to the importance of addressing patient-level barriers to biologic administration after deciding to initiate treatment in adults with asthma, particularly for underserved populations. The next article is classification of acute hypersensitivity reactions to non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs, NSAID exacerbated or induced food allergy by Romano et al. What is already known about this topic? NSAIDs may act as aggravating factors or cofactors in some hypersensitivity reactions to foods, which have been termed food-dependent NSAID-induced hypersensitivity reactions and have often misdiagnosed as hypersensitivity reactions to NSAIDs. What does this article add to our knowledge? Food-dependent NSAID-induced hypersensitivity reactions could more precisely be called NSAID-exacerbated or induced food allergy. This type of hypersensitivity reaction can be diagnosed in about 18% of patients reporting acute hypersensitivity reactions to NSAID, most of whom are sensitized to peach lipid transfer protein, PRU-P3. That is PRU-P3. Patients with NSAID exacerbated or induced food allergy tolerate drug challenges with the suspected NSAIDs. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Targeted food allergy tests should be considered in the diagnostic workup of patients reporting urticarial, angioedema, and or anaphylactic reactions to NSAIDs. If testing is positive, direct challenge with suspected NSAIDs should also be considered, avoiding the positive foods for four hours before and after these direct challenges. The next article is drug reactions with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms, a systematic review by Awad et al. What is already known about this topic? Drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms or DRESS is a severe cutaneous adverse reaction with significant morbidity and mortality. What does this article add to our knowledge? The most common implicated drug classes were antibiotics with piperacillin 
taxobactam being most common antibiotic at 7% prevalence, and anticonvulsants with Tegretol being most common anticonvulsants with an 8% prevalence. The class of implicated drug may influence patient outcome. Anticonvulsants and allopurinol were involved in 31% and 23% of classes resulting in mortality respectively. The median latency to onset of dress was found to be 24 days, higher than the typical quoted value of two weeks in the literature. Mucosal involvement apart from the eyes, mimicking Stevens-Johnson epidermal necrolysis, was present in 16% of cases. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Erythroderma and systemic involvement of a larger number of organs were associated with more complications and mortality. Understanding the variety of clinical presentations of dress, including less common cutaneous morphologies and other non-hepatic organ involvement may result in prompt diagnosis and help reduce patient morbidity and mortality. The next article is the relationship of reaction history to penicillin-positive skin tests by Gouda et al. What is already known about this topic? Penicillin allergy is commonly reported but uncommonly verified with skin testing. Evaluation practices are evolving and direct oral challenge, particularly in low-risk reaction histories, is recommended. What does this article add to our knowledge? This article confirms prior data demonstrating that a large proportion of patients with self-reported penicillin allergy but with low-risk reaction histories have positive skin test results and imply that penicillin skin testing is associated with a poor positive predictive value. How does this impact current management guidelines? The discordance between our findings and the low proportion of reactions reported in studies with direct oral challenge suggests that performing penicillin skin tests in low-risk patients may erroneously label them as penicillin allergy. Next article is Health Reported Quality of Life and Mental Health in Drug Hypersensitivity Reactions and Drug-Induced Anaphylaxis. A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Martini et al. What is already known about this topic? The role of health-related quality of life as an important patient-reported outcome is well established. However, health-related quality of life and mental health in patients with adverse drug reactions is poorly investigated. What does this article add to our knowledge? Mental disorders such as depression and anxiety are more common among people who experience adverse drug reactions compared with healthy subjects, an odds ratio of 2.9 and 3.9 respectively. And the health-related quality of life is significantly affected, especially in the case of drug-induced anaphylaxis. How does this study impact current management guidelines? A better assessment of health-related quality of life 
and characterization of patients' mental health may improve the efficacy of therapeutic strategies, which should include psychological support. Our next article is the association of NSAID adverse drug reactions with opioid prescribing after total joint arthroplasty by Lead et al. What is already known about this topic? NSAIDs are indicated first line for post-operative pain management, but its use may be limited by reported adverse drug reactions. Allergy overreporting and inaccurate labeling may contribute to unnecessary medication avoidance. What does this article add to our knowledge? In a large cohort of individuals who end, underwent a common surgical procedure, total joint arthroplasty, reported NSAID adverse drug reactions were common, almost 10%, and associated with increased risk for prolonged receipt of opioid prescriptions at 181 and 365 days postoperatively. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Routine preoperative evaluation of reported NSAID adverse drug reactions may be beneficial, particularly in surgical patients at high risk for a prolonged receipt of postoperative opioids. Next article is the impact of penicillin allergy labeling on clinical outcomes of pneumonia in children by Kaminsky et al. What is already known about this topic? Penicillin allergy labeling is associated with worse clinical outcomes in adult patients with pneumonia, including high risks of hospitalization and death. What does this article add to our knowledge? Children with a penicillin allergy label suffer worse clinical outcomes from pneumonia, including higher risks of hospitalizations, acute respiratory failure, and exposure to broader spectrum antibiotics. How does this article impact current management guidelines? Our findings suggest that penicillin allergy delabeling efforts might offer a solution to lessen morbidity for pneumonia in children. The next article is the safety of multi-food oral immunotherapy, OIT, in children aged 1 to 18 years at an academic pediatric clinic, Manu et al. What is already known about this topic? The efficacy of single food oral immunotherapy, OIT, most commonly peanut, has been demonstrated in clinical trials and in the real world, whereas single food OIT has been extensively studied. Safety analysis of multiple food OIT are limited. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients can safely undergo OIT and reach maintenance dosing to multiple foods with low frequencies of discontinuation, epinephrine administration, and hospital utilization. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Desensitization to multiple foods simultaneously through OIT appears to be safe and feasible. GI symptoms are the most common adverse event, and there should be added caution when considering 
Initiating OIT to Cashews or Sesame. The next article is Reviewing Pediatric Food OIT Through an Ethical Lens, a Narrative Systematic Review by Bijlak et al. What is already known about this topic? Ethical considerations in OIT include improving health and well-being, equity, sustainability, organizational competence, and the promotion of the common good. What does this article add to our knowledge? Traditional considerations of autonomy, beneficence, non-malfeasance, and justice inform patient selection, initiation, continuation, and discontinuation of OIT. How does this study impact current management guidelines? A framework for ethical considerations and obligations to inform shared decision-making is a critical component of OIT throughout treatment. Our last article is Food-Dependent Exercise-Induced Wheels, Angioedema, Anaphylaxis, or Both, a Systematic Review of Phenotypes, by Kut Hannon et al. What is already known about this topic? Most patients with food-dependent exercise-induced allergic reactions experience signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis with wheels, angioedema, or both. Wheat is the most common culprit food. What does this article add to our knowledge? The three phenotypes of food-dependent exercise-induced allergic reactions, i.e. anaphylaxis, wheels, angioedema, and both, differ in clinical characteristics, triggers, and treatment response. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Better knowledge of the specific characteristics of phenotypes of food-dependent exercise-induced allergic reactions can help improve patient information and counseling, as well as disease management. We thank you for your interest in Jackie in practice and attention to this podcast. We hope this podcast piques your interest to review our print and online articles in more detail. Again, thank you very much.